Welcome to the ministry of Smyrna Presbyterian Church. Founded in 1914, Smyrna Presbyterian Church believes in the Bible as the Word of God and so desires to preach, teach, pray, and sing that Word so as to know Christ and make Him known in our community, country, and world. We invite you to join us in that mission. Worship services are every Sunday at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. Here now is our pastor, the Reverend Joel Smith. And if you'll remain standing for the reading of God's Word as we look at the end of chapter 1 of 1 Peter and begin chapter 2. We'll begin reading in verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for in sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again. And then chapter 2, so put away all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Amen. Please be seated. On October 10th, 2007, I was handed a 7-pound, 11-ounce, 22-inch baby boy, and I was told congratulations on being a father for the first time. It truly was an overwhelming experience, but as you know, if you are a parent, soon the excitement wears off and the sleep deprivation sets in, and you think, now what? What do I do with you? especially as they begin to cry, as they so often do. And so I do what every good father does when his children begin to cry. I give them to their mother so that they can be fed. My wife would feed them, and then they would go to sleep, and then they would wake up, and then they would go back to sleep again, and this cycle would continue all over and over again. That, along with the changing of some diapers, that is life with a newborn for several months. And so I remember when our third child came along, and then our oldest, Peter at that time, was about four, he looked at his new little sister and said, what does she do? (laughs) And being an expert at this time, I said, well, son, not much. But that's not entirely true, is it? Infants do not do a lot externally, but internally there is all types of things going on. They are growing. In the first year, they grow 50% in their heights. They triple their body weight. Their brain doubles in size, and they have 60% of their cognitive development by age one. So when you understand all that is taking place internally, then you understand why they have that insatiable need both to feed and then to sleep because they need all of that energy for their bodies. And what is the natural result? Well, you know the natural result. The natural result is that they grow and they grow and they grow. And so we tell children all the time, wow, you are really growing Yes, that is what children do. 
But the nature of what this passage that is before us this morning is telling us is that Peter is saying that because you are born again, you will grow and you must grow. You must grow not physically, but you must grow spiritually. You must grow in holiness. You must grow in good works. And as he says there in verse 2, like newborn infants, long or crave for that pure spiritual milk. That we need the milk of God's word and spirit for sustained growth. For that ever increasing growth. Just like with little children desire that milk from their mothers. So we too, because we are growing spiritually have that craving, that longing for the spiritual milk of God's word and God's truth so that nothing will hinder our growth and our progression. And one of the great ways that we manifest that growth is through our love. As you know, the greatest commandment is that we would love God and love one another. Last week we looked at what it means to love God and I want to return this week to look at what it means to love one another. That love is the chief fruit of the Christian life. And so we'll see this in two points. The spiritual fruit of selfless love. And then second, the wicked weeds of selfish love. First, the spiritual fruit of Selfless love. As I've said again and again, but it bears worth repeating that all that Peter is saying is based upon that very important therefore in verse 13 of chapter 1. Because what God has done, because he has elected us according to the foreknowledge of God, because of the sanctification of the Spirit, because of the obedience in Jesus Christ by the sprinkling of his blood, which he says all in verse 2, therefore be holy. Therefore, be holy because you have been born again. That that work that God has done in your life has made you a new creature. Just as Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And so we must. And oftentimes people will use that phrase, will they not? Oh, he or she is a born again Christian. Or I am a born again Christian. Well, To be quite honest, there is no other. That every Christian is born again, born anew, born of above, born of God. Now that doesn't mean that we have to have similar testimonies or similar conversions. Some may be converted in a very radical way. Some may be converted in a very ordinary way. Some of you came to the Lord later in life. Some of you have not known a day. That you have not known and trusted the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you are like the Apostle Paul that had this radical conversion on the road to Damascus. And some of you are like Timothy that grew up in the church, grew up knowing the scripture. But if you are a Paul or if you are a Timothy, the same grace has been applied to you. And Paul's conversion is no more radical than Timothy's. There's no more grace that is needed to save Paul as there is to save Timothy. No, if you have known that grace early in life or late in life, it's the same amazing grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that saves each and every one of us. 
all are saved by grace and as a result are born again. And just as I mentioned before, just as children naturally grow, so too the children of God must grow. Grow in holiness. If a child doesn't grow, there's something wrong, right? Pediatricians call that the failure to thrive. There's this stunted growth, stunted development. We as Christians should never enter into that failure to thrive category. Right? Because we have been given everything that we need for growth. We have been given Christ and in Him all things. He has given us His Word. He's given us His Spirit. He's given us that which we can crave. And as He says there, so desire the pure spiritual milk so that you may continue to grow and mature in faith. And one of the chief ways that we must grow, one of the chief fruits of Christian growth and development is love. It must be. Jonathan Edwards, who I believe is the the greatest American theologian, wrote a whole series of sermons, 16 in all, on 1 Corinthians 13, that great love chapter. And it has been now turned into a book called Charity and Its Fruits. Charity is that old word for love. And this first sermon is so aptly entitled, Love, the sum of all virtue. And he goes on to say that the, the very root or the very heart of all that is right and good comes forth from love. Love is what gives rise and springs forth all the other spiritual fruits in one's life and soul. That it must be there. Even as we hear the Apostle Paul in that chapter, in 1 Corinthians 13, go to say that if we have all understanding and know all mysteries, if we have faith to move mountains, if we give all that we have, if we even deliver up our bodies to be burned, but yet do not have love, We have nothing. We have accomplished nothing. We have failed on the most basic point. We have not done that which God has redeemed us to do. And so how do we know that someone is truly born again? Well, it's evidenced chiefly through their love. And we can't forget that. We must not forget that. That's why I think Paul spends so much time on that chapter to the Corinthians so that they would be reminded as a church that they are called to love. And they weren't the only ones that forgot. Right? If you remember the life of Jesus, how much time he spent with his disciples, even to his dying hour, to teach them the nature of love. God's love for them and their love for one another. As you know, the church during Easter week, we often have a Monday Thursday service. That word Monday is something that we don't use too often, but it comes from the word mandate. And why is that? Because Jesus gives the disciples a mandate in the upper room. When he says in John thirteen thirty four, a new commandment or a new mandate I give you, that you would love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Now what does Jesus mean that this is a new commandment? 
Because truly the command to love was not new, was it? We see it throughout the Old Testament. We see it in the book of the law in Leviticus that you are to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, the problem was that the Jews had reduced neighbor to mean only the Jews. So they didn't have to love anyone outside of the Jewish race. And so Jesus is saying, no, you don't understand. We are to love one another. And one another includes Jews and it includes Gentiles. That of every people, tongue, tribe, and nation. That I'm going to open the gates of my grace and mercy. And that I'm going to bring the flood of people from around the world to be a part of my body, a part of my family, a part of my church, and that is who you are to love. You're to love one another. And that command to love one another, a few summers ago we did a Bible study here at the church looking at all of those one another verses in the scripture. And you should take note of that as you read the Bible. How often it talks about that we have these obligations to one another. That we are to welcome one another. That we are to submit to one another. That we are to serve and stir up and instruct and forgive and pray for and pray uh, to, to bear and to encourage one another. All of those are obligations that are owed to each other as a part of the body of Christ. And all of those one another verses come from this chief one another that is given by Jesus that we are to love one another even as I have loved you. And so we see this necessity, this mandate to love. And so we shouldn't be surprised here that as the Apostles, those disciples that were given that commandment as they write to the church that they have this same type of mandatory necessity that must be in the nature of those that they are writing to, that must be a part of the church. And that is why Peter says there in chapter 1, verse 22, that we are to love one another. Why? Because that is exactly what Jesus said to them. And that is what they are saying to the church. That is what the Holy Spirit is saying to us this morning. And he goes on to describe what that means. The ways that we are to love. Notice he says that we are to love with a sincere love. With a non-hypocritical love. That we are not to fake it. We can't fake it to make it, as they say. They can't just put it on. You can't just make it up. As I heard an older lady once say when somebody came up to her and said to her, well, you look very nice today. Her response was, thank heavens for a little paint to fake what you ain't. You can't paint on love, can you? You can't paint and fake what you ain't. Either you love or you do not love. Either you have a false love which is not a love at all. And everyone can see through a false love. A false empathy, can they not? We're to love with a genuine love. 
comes from a sincere heart. In other words, it comes in a sense naturally to love one another. We're to love with a brotherly love. The word there is Philadelphos, where the city Philadelphia gets its name, brotherly love. Means that we love with a familial love. We love one another because we are family. And I hear some of you using that phrase once in a while, that we're, we're family as a church. And that is a good biblical term, good biblical language to use because we have been adopted into the family of God, have we not? And we are brothers and sisters in Christ, regardless of our skin tone, that the blood of Christ runs deeper than familial blood or even racial blood. We are united together of every stripe because of the blood of Christ. We have that brotherly, sisterly love for one another. He goes on to say that we love also, as he says there, with an earnest love. Peter uses here the word for agape love, hearkening to a divine love, a love with a fierce love, with a deep love, with an intentional love, a love that springs into action. And we're to love one another even as I have loved you. That is what Christ is, is it not? We cannot love in the same measure that Christ has loved because he loves with an infinite love. But we're to love one another in the same manner. In other words, we're to love selflessly. We're to love with a selfless love. Just as Christ loved. And gave himself up for us. That's the manner in which we are to love one another. That we are putting others before ourselves. And as I mentioned last Sunday, there are several of you that love with this type of love. And you should be commended for it. That you love with a sincere and brotherly and earnest and selfless love. And you know the people that I'm speaking about, aren't you? Because you're always glad to be in their presence. You leave their presence refreshed, renewed. Like being around them is like a a breath of fresh air. And oftentimes those people have an attractive nature to them. Not in regards to their looks, but according to their love. The way that they interact, that they give of themselves selflessly. They love with a sincere and genuine and deep love. That is Jesus in them. And that is precious. That is precious in the sight of God. That is precious in the life of the church. We must pray that these attributes of the way that we love would be demonstrated in that way. Well, even as we say that then, we also must know, second, that there are wicked weeds that try to sprout up That there are wicked weeds of selfish love. That there is things in our life, even though we are maturing and progressing in sanctification, that new nature still sometimes struggles to come forth. And parts of the old nature are demonstrated. And we, as Luther said, are both sinner and saint simultaneously. Sometimes there is parts of us that are very saintly. That are very Christ-like. And then there are other times there's parts of us that are extremely sinful. 
and look like Satan more than God himself. That's why Peter here urges in this same aspect of talking about love that there are things that we must put away, that there are parts of our old nature that must be put off so that the new nature in Christ can be rooted and established. Notice some of these things as he says that we are to put off. We are to put off malice, as he says, or hate. This is the exact opposite of love. This is the motivation not for good, but for evil, for ill intent, for a person to to fail, a person to not succeed, perhaps even something uh, terrible happening to them, that it's of malicious intent. We use that in in the the law world, that a person acted with malicious intent so as to protect themselves or to, to perhaps even reenact revenge. I think of Haman and that story of Esther when I think of what it means to be malicious. Remember every thought of Mordecai just utterly disgusted him and turned that disdain towards him. As a result he hated Mordecai, even hated all the people that were associated, all of the Jews because they were related to him. That's the kind of malice intent that Peter is talking about here. But that should never be the intention. That should never be the attitude of the Christian. We can disagree with people. And sometimes we must. But we're never to be malicious towards them. You know, sometimes we have to say hard and difficult things to people. We have to say hard and difficult things to people that we love. And that is not anti-love. Don't get me wrong. That is true love. You know, oftentimes churches will put that on their, their sign outside. We, we love and, and accept everyone. Well, we do too. We love everyone. But we must love with the kind of love that God has given us. We're to love with a holy love. As God loves. And we must tell the people the truth. That we must speak the truth in love, the scripture says. That through speaking the truth, you're demonstrating love to them. By being silent about things that are sinful and against God's word is not unloving. That is the nature of love. That is not hateful. That is not malicious. That is true love. And so we can love people and still hold to the truth. Hold to that which is loving in nature. Think of the rich young ruler. When the rich young ruler came to Jesus, Jesus says, I love it in Mark, as we looked at it several months ago. It says in that moment, Jesus loved him. But yet, that man went away because he would not give up his idol in his life. Jesus wasn't unloving to him. No, he was showing him true love. His love was falsely placed. His love was not placed in the Lord Jesus Christ, in God as it should. It was placed in his money, in his wealth. And Jesus didn't compromise on that. So that he would hopefully know the true love that is given to him through Christ, through the gospel. That is the way we must love. Second, there is this aspect of deceit and hypocrisy. Of being something that we're not. Being cunning, being deceiving. Hypocrisy, as you know, means play-acting, 
wearing a mask so as to hide something. You've seen this with your children, have you not? You ask them what is in their hand, and what do they immediately do with their hand? Put it behind their back and say, nothing. We as adults might become a little more sophisticated than that. As I said, just a little bit more. But if we are hiding our actions, or if we're having to hide our thoughts, that what we're doing in private, we don't want anyone else to know, then our thoughts, our actions, if they must be shrouded in darkness, that's probably a sign that they are not right. They're most likely wrong. And moreover, we cannot love sincerely and honestly if we are acting in a way that is deceitful is acting in a way that is hypocritical. That goes against the aspect of love that we're called to. And then it goes on here to say we're, not to, we're to put off envy and slander. That envy and jealousy which is directed towards others or towards what they have. Or that slander, which means to, to pass along those, those juicy tidbits you know, around the, the water cooler about that employer or this employer or what that person is doing or that person is doing, that doesn't build up or encourage, but that, that purposely tries to tear down, that brings disrepute, that has other people to, to see that person in a different light. That should not be the kind of words that are coming forth from our lips. Again, that is to not love earnestly, not to love as Christ has loved for us. That is not loving with a selfless love, that is... Being selfish, trying to put yourself up. Lift yourself up while pushing others down. And we shouldn't be surprised when the world does these things. We shouldn't be surprised when these things are directed towards us. When people are malicious to us, when they deceive us, or are the, the hypocrite, play a hypocritical role, or even if they envy and slander us, because we know that's exactly what happened to the Lord Jesus Christ. But that should never be the actions of us towards the world. Even as that is done towards us, we don't return evil for evil, do we? As it says, rather we are to love with a selfless love. We're to even love our enemy as we love ourselves. And so doing says that we are to burn heaping coals upon their laps. That, that the way that we would interact would be so different the way that they are interacting with us that they are rebuked by their own actions. What Peter is saying here is that these are the, the wicked weeds that try to choke out the spiritual fruit. Choke out the spiritual life. And if any of these things are in our hearts, and, and they are there, are they not? Right? These things can come forth so easily, even as we are trying to put to death that old nature. We must cut them off. As anyone that gardens will tell you, you want to get the weeds early on, don't you? That the longer you let them grow, the more difficult they become to uproot. They become twice as troublesome. They become twice as difficult. And so here, when we see these things, this selfish love creep its ugly head, chop it off, root it out. Don't let these things be like, like kudzu that just grows overnight. 
chokes out the life of a tree or a plant. We must put this off so that we may put on love. Just a couple points of application as we direct our hearts to the table this morning. That we are to love one another. And to love one another means that we are to love the church even as Christ loves the church. And what I mean is that we are to love one another. And one another is those that are sitting right around you this morning. That this isn't some hypothetical church. This is this church. You're to love one another. And admittedly, that's difficult sometimes. As I heard a, a poem quite humorously put, to live above with the saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to live below with the saints we know, well, that's another story. And that's pretty true, isn't it? But if we're going to love the saints above one day, we need to love the saints below. Because this is our family. And just like you can't always choose your family members, and there's some that you may not have chosen to be a part of your family, right? There's, all of us have a few cousins, right? That wouldn't have been our first choice. But nevertheless, they're part of family, right? So too in the church. We're to love those that God has brought into the family. Or to accept those that God has chosen, not who we have chosen. Why? Because they are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are family. We're to love even those that are hard to love. And oftentimes the ones that are hard to love give us an opportunity to love in the way that we must love. Like Christ has loved us. And we're hard to love. Yet Christ has given his ultimate love to us. And part of that then, loving the church, means that we will have an active participation in the church. If we're to love one another, that means more than just coming an hour a week and sitting in those pews. It does. We cannot welcome, submit, serve, stir one another up, instruct, forgive, pray, bear, encourage one another when we just come slide in and then slide out. Loving one another means that there must be more to it. That we must have that desire to know and be known by others in the church. So that we can minister and be ministered to. And that goes beyond just worship, does it not? It means being hospitable. It means showing one another and asking one another if you want to come and join us for lunch or go out for coffee this week means sometimes sending a card or a gift that demonstrates your love to someone that is struggling. It means making them a meal. It means sending them a sermon or a book that you think might be of encouragement to them or might help them with what they're going through. It's saying to others, I'm going to pray for that every day this week, that item that you just shared. It means saying to one another, I love you. I'm thinking about you. And then you demonstrate that with your actions as much as your word. That the command to love one another is that deep-rooted command. That is basic discipleship. And yet each and every one of us must put that on more and put off the selfish love so that we may love just in the same manner as Christ has loved us. 
There's an old 60s song that has been recorded over and over again. What the world needs now. And I know you're saying the rest of it in your mind. And I'm not going to sing it for you, so I'm going to spare you that. But what the world needs now is love, sweet love. Because it's the only thing that there's just too little of. As we come to this table this morning, we see that love is what the world needs now. And it's what the world has always needed. And that love is the love that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. The only place that we would differ with that song is that in him there is never too little of. Because he is the source of the infinite and eternal love. And so this morning as we come to that table, may we be reminded of his love for us. The way that he has given it to us. And in return, may we love one another in that same manner.